Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask for your blessing to be upon the reading and proclamation of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that uh, as we have opened your word, we ask that you would speak to us through it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the games that we like to play when we are younger is to pretend that we are suddenly rich, you know, that we are that we suddenly become billionaires, and then we dream about how we would use the money, what we would spend the money on, what we would buy. Maybe some of us still like to play that game as adults. The message of this sermon is that if you are in Jesus Christ and belong to Him, then you are already incredibly rich. I love Philippians 4.19 where it says, my, my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God isn't saying that He will go into a storehouse of riches and that He'll give us a little bit out of it. But rather... This verse, and there are several verses like it, that says that God will give us according, according to His riches. And the picture in my mind's eye is of of a billionaire uh, who is coming along and giving a couple of bucks to a poor person, and he's given this couple of dollars out of their riches. That's one picture. That's the giving riches or giving out of his riches. But the other picture, the biblical picture, is of the billionaire coming along, putting his arm around the poor person, making him a partner so that the poor person receives wealth according to the billionaire's riches. God has promised to supply your every need according to to His riches. This means that if you belong to Jesus Christ, that you are incredibly rich. And of course, these riches are spiritual in nature. Ephesians 1.3 says, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But then these physical blessings... Uh, I'm sorry, these spiritual blessings uh, flow forth also into physical blessings. Not health and wealth and gospel and stuff like that. But if you belong to Christ, Christ has promised that if you put Him and His kingdom first, you won't have to worry about where you eat. Uh, I'm sorry, where you sleep, um, where you, what you eat, what you will wear. God will take care of all those things. In Jesus Christ, you are incredibly rich. And this is a truth that the Israelites, uh, the Israelites uh, who left Egypt during the Exodus, this is something that they could just never understand. You remember that when the Israelites left Egypt after the ten plagues, they plundered the Egyptians. Um, and then they went out, went out toward the Red Sea. Yet they never, ever believed that God would supply their every need according to His riches and glory. Once they left Egypt, 
all that they could think about were the things that they were lacking. And they began to long to turn back to the security of Egyptian slavery. And so we have um, throughout the Pentateuch, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Israelites begging to go back to Egypt. Lord, or, or Moses, did you bring us out here to, to starve in the desert? Did you bring us out here to die of thirst? Did you bring us out here to, to be killed by Pharaoh's en- enemy? Did you get, bring us out here to be killed by, by the Amalekites that were living in the Promised Land? On and on and on. And God had promised them that He would give them everything they needed. In fact, Genesis 47 is included here in the, in, in, in the Bible. And I believe God had it happen to uh, Joseph's brothers. Um, the things that happened in Genesis 47 to teach us and to teach the Israelites as they left Egypt that God will supply every need of ours according to His riches and glory. There are three ways that uh, will serve as encouragement to us that God will indeed supply all our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Those three ways are uh, outlined on the back of your bulletin. And so the first encouragement we have to know that true riches are ours is because of God's providence. Not only did God place Joseph in this this, uh, high position in Egypt so that he could act as a savior for his family, but God also ordained that the sons of Jacob be shepherds. Why is that important? Well, that's because they would be settled in the best and most fertile region in Egypt. In fact, part of God's providence here in making... Jacob's uh, sons uh, making the Israelite shepherds was that the Egyptians would look down their noses um, at the Israelites and would be eager for them to live over in the land of Goshen. Look at our text. And I'm going to start back in chapter 46, uh, verses 33 and 34, and then continue through verse 6 of chapter 47. And you'll see what I'm talking about. When Pharaoh calls you, this is Joseph speaking uh, to his brother. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And in chapter 47, verse 1, So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh 
said to Joseph, your, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know of any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Here's God's providence. They were being starved out of Canaan. And of course we know from looking at uh, the life of Joseph over these past several weeks, maybe even months, we see that that was part of God's plan. And He brought them then to the land of Egypt. They're outsiders. And yet they are given the best of the land. Our God is sovereign. He uses His providence um, in our lives to bring about the true riches that are ours in Jesus Christ. God has providentially arranged your life so that you might receive all the riches of His glory as He supplies every one of your needs. It may not be evident on the face of it, but when you look at things through the eyes of faith, it makes perfect sense. But this perspective, this perspective of faith, of seeing your life as being blessed by God who loves you, this perspective on life that says God is sovereign, that He is working for your good and for His glory even in the midst of the pains and struggles you go through. This is not something that uh, that you simply believe because the preacher is saying it. Rather, this is a truth that is revealed to you by God Himself. Listen to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 1, verses 16 through 19. Listen to Paul, the content of his prayers. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. And so Paul prayed continually for the Ephesians that God would open the eyes of their hearts, that they might know the riches that God has called them to in Christ Jesus. In fact, this was so important to Paul that he paused right in the middle of the book of Ephesians and he began praying for them. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Paul says, or Paul prays, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you be, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. And Paul is saying, this is something that I pray for you because this is something that you will not naturally know or believe on your own. And what Paul is praying for here 
uh, in Ephesians is for the Ephesians, also for us, to understand how secure we are in Jesus Christ. Assurance does not simply come by believing the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Assurance is something that God reveals to us by His Spirit. If you are struggling uh, with whether God loves you or struggling with whether God will take care of you, spend time in the book of Ephesians. Uh, in chapters 1 and chapter 3, praying through the prayers that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. Asking God that He would enlighten the eyes of your heart that you may be able to understand and comprehend that which is incomprehensible. That God loves you and that He has sealed you um, with His promised Holy Spirit, that He will never leave you or forsake you, that you are His and that everything that Christ has for us is yours, that you are incredibly rich in Christ. Secondly, we can know true riches are ours because of God's promises. Look at verses 7 through 12 as I read um, Genesis 47. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the, in the days of our sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Jacob is a monument to God's faithfulness to His promises. In every sermon on Jacob's life, I think I said something like um, that, that God blessed Jacob in spite of Jacob. Do you remember me saying things like that? And you're probably thinking, um, oh, first of all, Jacob seemed to recognize this, verse 9, because he says, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, recognizing how how wicked he had been, how unfaithful he had been um, for so much of his of his life. And it's likely you're thinking that God has blessed you in spite of you. You can probably think of many instances, even over this past week, where you've been less than faithful to God. But God has blessed you anyway. Our God is faithful to His promises, even in spite of us. There's something that we rarely recognize about our salvation. And that is, our salvation is not about us. It's about God's glory. God's faithfulness is not centered in on us exclusively. Rather, it's centered in on Himself. 
He is faithful to His promises. He is faithful to us because He is faithful to Himself. Colossians 1.27 says that God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the gospel mystery, which is, he says in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, what Colossians 1.27 is saying is that God saved you, not for you, but that your life might be a reflection of His glory, that your life might be a reflection of His grace to a watching world. You exist as a believer in Christ Jesus for other people. You exist as a believer in Jesus Christ to to say to a watching world that Jesus Christ loves sinners. That Jesus Christ saves sinners. Now to be sure, God loves you. But your purpose as a Christian is not simply to soak up God's love for your comfort, for your well-being, but rather it is to be a revelation of God's love for sinners. And thirdly, um, this passage teaches us that true riches are ours because of God's grace. I'll read verses 13 through 28 and then explain how this teaches us about God's grace. So if you have your Bibles open, I'll begin with verse 13. Now there was no food at all in the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year had was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in, in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed so that we may live and not die and that the land might not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. For the people he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priest he did not buy, for the priest had had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, 
and four fifths shall be yours, shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves, and for your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have a fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. And they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years, so the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were a hundred and forty-seven years. It's interesting here. It does not say that the Israelites sold themselves as slaves. In fact, what we see here are the Israelites, they are prospering. They are gaining in possessions. While the whole land of Egypt has become enslaved to Pharaoh. The Egyptians became enslaved while the Israelites remained free and gained possessions and lived a blessed life. The Israelites had no rights to freedom above the Egyptians. They were the outsiders. But God made them rich instead of allowing them to become slaves. And I think this teaches us very important lessons about God's grace to us. Everyone outside Jesus Christ is living in slavery to sin. We live, but we in Jesus Christ live in freedom from the bondage of sin. But we once also, also lived in that same enslaved condition. You know Ephesians 2. The Apostle Paul said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love of which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. None of us in this room deserve to be saved. We do not deserve to be free from our bondage and sin. We do not deserve to be raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. We do not deserve for Christ the Lord of glory to have died for us. It is only God who is rich in mercy that has given us this grace. It is only God who is rich in mercy that has made us alive with Christ Jesus. Not only so, not only have we received this grace, but we've received a new life in Christ. We've received eternal life in Christ. We've received peace with God through Jesus Christ. We've, en- we've received enjoyment of God's favor and fellowship through Jesus Christ. We've received redemption. We've received forgiveness of sins, justification. We've rece- received adoption. We've received hope, assurance. We've even We've received an an inheritance that can never spoil, perish, or fade in Jesus Christ. And if that were not enough, 
God the Holy Spirit lives in our souls. In other words, if you are in Jesus Christ, you indeed are truly rich. This view of the Christian life, that everything comes from Christ, exalts God's mercy. Of course, at the very same time, it debases man's pride. What do you have that you didn't receive from Christ? Who are you outside of Jesus Christ? All that we have, all that we are, all that we will ever do for God, it's all by God's grace. The Israelites could never get it through their heads. It certainly was not in their hearts in terms of how God had blessed them. I heard a story about two brothers uh, that lived in New York City. Um, They were the sons of a respected New York doctor. They both had gone to college, earned college degrees. Um, In fact, one had studied at an Ivy League school and had graduated. And when the father, Dr. Collier, died, um, his, his sons inherited his entire estate, which was substantial. But these brothers chose a lifestyle that was inconsistent with the blessing of their inheritance. In fact, they lived in almost total seclusion, rarely went out of the house. They boarded up the windows of their house. Um, All their utilities, including water, was shut off. And from the outside, this house uh, appeared empty. And... um, these two brothers lived there century, oh, I'm sorry, not century, year after year, decade after decade. In 1947, uh, March, 1st, uh, March 21st, 1947, the police received an anonymous uh, telephone tip that a man had died inside this boarded up house. The police went inside. They couldn't get the door open. There was so much junk that they had accumulated. One of the brothers had a had a difficult time seeing. He couldn't read. His difficult his his eyesight was so bad. And so the other brother would store up all these magazines, all these books from floor to ceiling, uh, with books that his brother was going to read when his eyesight was restored. And then they they brought different items, just junk, into the house. Uh, because they they didn't want anything to go to waste and they felt like if we don't bring it in, it will be lost. And so their whole house was filled with, uh, with junk. They went in, they found the one brother, uh, the blind brother, uh, on his bed, dead. And then... As they are starting to move some of the junk, they found the other brother. He had been buried under one of the stacks that had fallen over on him. They ended up getting the garbage removed. 140 tons of garbage they removed from this one house. These two brothers had everything they needed. 
to live a prosperous, blessed, happy life because of the inheritance that their father had left to them. Too many Christians live our lives just like them. God has indeed given us everything we need for life and for godliness. We have an inheritance in Jesus Christ that is according to His riches. We have everything we need to prosper in our walk with Christ. In spite of our sin, we have the Holy Spirit. We have Christ Himself. God calls us more than conquerors through Him who loved us. In fact, how does Romans 8, 16, and 17 say it? We are children of God. And if children, we are heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Isn't that good news? That's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. To make us heirs with God. To make us children with God. In order that we might thrive in our walk with Him. In order that we might display His glory before a watching world. How is your walk with Christ? To what use are you making of the inheritance that God has given you in Jesus Christ? Does your spiritual life more resemble these brothers? Or can you say, yeah, I am more than a conqueror through Him who loved me, through Him who is at work in me, through Christ my Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, it pains me every time I read the Pentateuch and I see the Israelites closing their eyes, the, the eyes of their heart to You. You are leading them day by day and yet they are complaining that they are not being cared for. Lord, You have promised to provide for them and yet they long for the security of the slavery in Egypt. And oh Lord, every time I take one look at them, I take ten looks at myself, and I'm undone. And so then I take a hundred looks at my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I remember what He has done for me and continues to do. Father, for anyone who, uh, like me, needs that assurance that they are rich in Jesus Christ. I pray that You would provide it by their Spirit by opening up the eyes of their hearts that they may know the hope that they have in Jesus Christ, which is Christ in them, the hope of glory. I pray in His name. Amen.